0: It's the December 20th, 2019 episode of Weekly Signals Meltdown. Broadcasting from Studio A, KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan.
1: And I'm Mike Kaspar.
0: And as always, probably the greatest crime fighter over the last 50 years, Mahler, <laughs> the fake news dog. Rough rough. Yeah. He's a good boy. What a good boy. rough rough. ruff. Today, we'll be talking about the larynx. That's it. I think it, that's a lot.
1: Yeah, it is a lot. I think we could spend the first 15 minutes talking about how you don't want to be
0: punched in the
1: larynx. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, that's ah. something. Yeah. Uh,
0: super trees with superpowers. Okay. Uh, bad China deal, dot orgs, and more. But first. Mm-hmm. Do you like Robert De Niro, Mike?
1: Do I like Robert De Niro? Yeah. I've never met him, but I admire some of the performances that he has been a part of over yeah. the course of these many years. I think I would like him because he, I, <laughs> I don't know. I—I I, uh, What do you think of Robert De Niro? Raging Bull?
0: Yes. Taxi Driver? Yes. Meet the Fockers? All fine performances. <laughs> Yeah. From the New York Times Magazine. Yeah. Robert De Niro uh-huh. thinks Donald Trump is worse than any gangster he's ever played. Robert De Niro.
1: And I know he's met a few, too. Yeah. I know he has.
0: Worse than Goodfellas.
1: Worse than Goodfellas. Yeah. yeah think about uh, that. Well, he's also in Godfather 2. Yeah. So yeah, Both he, those movies.
0: He pretty much. There's a lot of casino, bad guys. Casino.
1: Yeah. You, he's been I a wouldn't lot
0: of, want to play him, De Niro said. <laughs> (laughs) The president is supposed to set an example by trying to do the right thing, not be a nasty little bitch. (laughs) This is De Niro talking. (laughs) So that makes it okay to say on air. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't say it. Ah. No. Somebody else said it. That's what he is. He's a petulant little punk. There's not one thing that I see in him or his family, not any redeeming qualities. He is a person who, to me, has no morals, no ethics, no sense of what's right and wrong. A dirty player. Yeah. Yeah. Cape Fear. Yeah, Think Cape Fear. That. Oh, Cape yeah. Fear. Definitely. He's a
1: badass. Can I say that? I don't know. Uh, I just did. Are you talking uh, about De Niro? Yeah, yeah. De Niro's performance. His characters are pretty bad arts They can be. Yeah. I just came across some information that I think might be relevant to our conversation about Donald Trump. Yes. And that is, how did the Trump family, the origin story of the Trump family's wealth, come about? Fred Trump, Donald's (laughs) grandfather, he made his money Uh during the 1895 gold rush in the Yukon. The Trump family wealth came from the opening of a brothel. In Dawson City.
0: Well, my grandfather owned a brothel.
1: Okay. Now, are you independently wealthy? Are you pretending to be a billionaire? He
0: wasn't as successful as uh, (laughs) Freddie.
1: Okay. Yeah, but that's the origin story for the the Trump
0: family. You have a problem with brothels? I'll let other people. As long as you treat the customers right and you're being kind to your employees. Okay. Yeah, especially in those days. I mean, where can a a gal find good work?
1: In the northwest part of Canada, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunities for women to make money.
0: I'm not encouraging people to become whores. Right. I'm just saying. There are worse things. I just think that... Honestly, I think things that General Motors has done are much worse than running a brothel.
1: Running a brothel in a gold rush town.
0: Yeah. Yeah, come on. The thing that disgusts me about Trump's family is the prejudice in their apartments in New York City, his father. His
1: father, he owned more low-income housing in New York City than I think anyone else did at the time back in the 40s and 50s. And they were prosecuted by the Department of Justice for (laughs) discrimination. They were found guilty of that. Also, they were also found guilty of scamming the government out of money that they weren't entitled to by taking advantage of.
0: But at the same time, you're blaming the family. I come from a racist family. That doesn't mean I'm racist. In fact, you got to hand it to me. Okay. I overcame that.
1: Yeah. I don't think Donald Trump has overcome No, I don't
0: think he has either. But to point to a guy's father and say, therefore, you're a bad man.
1: In a manner of speaking, I'm implying that, but I didn't say that out loud. I
0: just you, want, didn't, you implied it. I, I, mean, what, I want people to know that, the, that the, the origin
1: story for the Trump fortune, as it is, started in a brothel.
0: Uh huh. That's not exactly where I thought we were going, but okay. I think maybe that's why Trump is really doing, say to Stormy Daniels, is he's giving back. He- <laughs> <laughs> okay. From NBC News, two federal inspectors warned that mystery meat. Yes. You know, mystery meat, right? I... <laughs> and other un- thats that's a, 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 a companion of Stormy Daniels. <laughs> mystery meat and other unwanted materials will contaminate U.S. pork under the new meat inspection rules currently being used in a pilot program designed by Trump Republicans. Food Safety and Inspection Service Inspectors Anthony Vallone and Jill Maher filed whistleblower disclosure forms with the Office of Special Counsel about their concerns. The consumer's being duped, Maher said, adding that the new Trump pork, as I like to call it, (laughs) available soon at grocery stores across the nation. Yeah. Trump pork is now more likely to contain feces... Mmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. DC all Yeah, you
1: yeah, know something about that.
0: Sex organs. Yeah. Speaking of Stormy Daniels. Speaking
1: of Stormy Daniels.
0: Toenails, bladders, and hair. A pilot program for Trump pork is going on right now. Mm-hmm. They picked five pork plants. Right. And they're running the pilot right. program for pork in these five pork plants. Right. Typically, seven federal inspectors check the meat for defects. But under Trump Republican rules, only two of the plant's own employees will be instructed to check the meat without any required federal training. So people who work for the company, two people, will be in
1: charge of protecting the integrity of our collective meat.
0: Not only that, you know, the meat comes down this conveyor belt. And they do their cutting and slicing and ripping the organs out and tearing the head off or whatever they do to, to pork. They're gonna speed up the assembly line. There's no speed limit now on any of the lines.
1: So no speed limit. Yeah so you've got you've These got pork bodies you've flying got runaway by. pork yeah. coming down the chute yeah. and you've got two guys <laughs> yeah. who work for the company <laughs> whose jobs are I'm dependent up. upon working or their livelihoods are dependent upon the company yeah. are now inspecting high speed meat.
0: High speed meat.
1: <laughs> That's a punk band,
0: like a metal punk, yep. yeah, I think. Speed metal know. punk, high high-speed speed meat. <laughs> From inverse. Oh, wow. For more than 50 years, scientists have thought that the origin of speech depended on one pivotal moment 200,000 years ago when the human larynx (laughs) descended, elongating the vocal tract. Until now, this physiological lengthening was seen as the root of our unique ability to communicate verbally. Mm -hmm. But new research suggests larynxes in many species dropped 27 million years ago, not 200,000 years ago. Gotcha. 27 million years ago, this turns traditional theories of human linguistics helter skelter. <laughs> they don't know what to think now. Okay. The data revealed three key takeaways. First, the descent of the larynx is not uniquely a human adaptation. Okay. Second, the descent of the larynx isn't required to make contrasting vowel sounds. Like a, 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 a o, mm-hmm. uh, which is a key element of human speech. Mm-hmm. So it's not even required to right. do that, right? I suppose Mahler could. Oh, uh, well, Mahler! Mahler could try it. You can yeah. tell. Yeah. yeah. Yes, Mahler. I- Ma- oh, okay. we got the o. Yeah, I heard <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Good boy. Good boy. <laughs> Ah. Third, non-human primates produce contrasting vocalizations much like humans do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love right. that. I love that.
1: No, I love that phrase, contrasting. Contra- you like yeah. that? Yeah, because yeah. that really is what speech is, yeah. contrasting sounds. Yeah.
0: yeah? <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Yeah, it yeah. makes sense. Uh... The researchers can't say definitively whether Neanderthals spoke, but if they did, they'd sound very much like today's Republican Party. Yeah. If this news leaves you speechless, may I recommend a a nation to KUCI to give you new voice? Just go to kuci.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio. KUCI 88.9 FM. From Live Science, according to new research, a little-noticed 2018 methane leak at an Exxon Mobil site in Ohio was one of the worst leaks ever. When the natural gas well in Belmont County, Ohio blew in February, it was a significant local event. But it wasn't even clear how large the leak was until researchers studying data from a new European Space Agency methane monitoring satellite spotted the plume. This is the type of stuff that Trump Republicans would cut. Yeah. They wouldn't want This is a European could... satellite. Yeah. We have to get our information from a European satellite.
1: Because they've cut a lot of the stuff out of the National Weather Bureau, the funding for their stuff.
0: Yeah. The blown well was pumping for 20 days at rates of 132 tons of methane into the atmosphere every hour. God. That's nearly double the rate of the much more famous SoCal leak at Aliso Canyon, California in 2015, Porter Ranch leak. Right. Invisible odorless methane is one of the most toxic sources of greenhouse gases after carbon dioxide, accounting for at least one quarter of all global warming that greenhouse gases are causing in 2019. However, methane emissions hang around in the atmosphere for just 10 years, while carbon dioxide can last thousands of years. Mm. But methane emissions are difficult to track, and that's a problem, with many leaks going unreported. Yeah. We have plants spewing methane into the atmosphere we don't even know about, the advent of remote methane sensing equipment on European Space Agency satellites gives a new window onto the problem. It's likely that other similar leaks routinely go unnoticed. I think it's important to point out, and the numbers do vary somewhat,
1: but that methane is, in this article they mentioned 80 times more potent than co 2 It's much more potent in terms of the effect it has on our atmosphere. And this comes at a time when the United States is, I believe, the world's leading producer of natural gas, which in the production of it, we get fracking. And now there are regulations that allow a certain percentage of methane to leak. It's in the regulations. They allow them to get away with leaking methane. Not a lot, but nonetheless, methane is an extremely detrimental, devastating impact on our atmosphere.
0: From Los Angeles Times, waters off the California coast are acidifying twice as fast as the global average, threatening major fisheries and sounding the alarm that the ocean can absorb only so much more of the world's carbon emissions. A new study led by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration also made an unexpected connection between acidification and a climate cycle known as the Pacific Decadal Oscillation the same shifting forces that have played a major role in the higher and faster rates of sea level rise hitting California in recent years. Mm-hmm. So here's how it works. This is why we're getting the acidification. When carbon dioxide mixes with seawater, it undergoes chemical reactions that increase the water's acidity. Across the world, coral reefs are dying. Oysters and clams are struggling to build their shells. That's a, a commercial enterprise. Right. Fish seem to be losing their sense of smell and direction. I didn't even know fish smelled, except like fish. The ocean has long been the unsung hero of climate change. It has absorbed more than a quarter of the carbon dioxide released by humans since the Industrial Revolution and about 90% of the resulting heat. Right. Scientists for years have worried that the West Coast could face some of the earliest, most severe changes in ocean carbon chemistry. And we're experiencing it now. The waters off the California coast have had a more than double decline in pH than the worldwide average. The ocean is reaching its capacity right now to bail us out.
1: Yeah. Going back to sort of explaining why this is relevant, back at a time, pre-industrial time, There was a natural amount of carbon dioxide that was released into the atmosphere. And up until the industrial age, there was a cycle. The ocean absorbed it. It was not a critical amount. It wasn't so overwhelming. And part of that cycle was CO2 being released, absorbed, released, absorbed, and it was fine. Everyone was getting along pretty well under those circumstances. But now, because we're pulling so much carbon out of the ground in the form of fossil fuel, it is overwhelming these systems now. They do not have the ability to rebound, the ability to regenerate themselves. We're just overwhelming all of these systems now. And that's why the oceans are at their near capacity for being able to absorb heat, to
0: be able to absorb carbon as well. From New York Magazine, the U.N. climate talks collapsed in Madrid. Emissions set a new record in 2018. In other words, in spite of everything we know about climate change, we're just spewing more gases into the atmosphere. Right, and we're poised to set another record again in 2019. Just three years since the signing of the Paris Accords, no major industrial nation is on track to honor its commitments.
1: I think that bears repeating, Nathan.
0: Yeah, nobody, nobody in the world is doing anything that they said they were going to do regarding the Paris Accords.
1: And that was the seminal achievement of the industrial countries coming together to decide to do something about climate change, and we are not doing it. No one is.
0: The original host of this year's Climate Talks, Brazil, backed out when it elected a climate sociopath, Jair Bolsonaro, as president. The replacement site for the Climate Talks, Chile, cancelled their event just months before because of civil unrest sparked in part by rising fuel prices. And when Secretary General Antonio Guterres staged a special climate action summit during the UN General Assembly this September, no one aside from the smallest countries came armed with anything more than lip service. Because most of the major nations are run by jerks right now. The leaders of the biggest
1: emitters of carbon dioxide are actually moving away from trying to meet these standards, these goals, and accelerating in a direction that by the consensus of any rational scientist or climatologist would say is going to impact civilization to a point where sustainability is going to be a real question. Why? Well, we have... greed. Avarice and ignorance and ignorance. And I'm going to go back, I'm going to throw a rock over it in the direction of Barack Obama. Copenhagen, 2009, climate conference there. Yeah. An opportunity with China, India, they were ready to go. And Obama, for whatever reason, the American delegation backed away from an agreement, as well as China.
0: This is not an excuse, but I I think the uh, financial blow up that was going on in 2008 put a lot of pressure on him not to do anything that would affect the economy. And that's not to excuse him, but I think that accounts for it.
1: Yeah. And I think the paradigm should have been at that point, we've got to change to looking at this as something that will harm our economies to something that will it positively impact our economy and the sustainability of
0: our economies moving forward,
1: yeah. but it didn't happen.
0: The point of no return is no longer on the horizon. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres said, it is in sight and hurtling toward us. Australia, by some accounts, was responsible for cheating and thwarting progress at the conference last week. God was so upset this week that yeah. Australia is experiencing a record setting heat wave. Yeah. Yeah, God threw that at them. God threw them. Because they're not paying attention. Yeah. With temperatures above 104 degrees Fahrenheit all across the country. This isn't just in one place. This is the whole continent is over 100 degrees. The heat wave follows a month of brush fires that have burned through more than 7 million acres. In Sydney, ferry service had to be suspended because the boats couldn't navigate in the smoke. All across the city, fire alarms inside buildings were set off because of the smoke. Air quality measuring above 200 on the air quality index scale is dangerous to breathe. Technically, air stops being good at 33. So you got this range. 33, 33, to 33 to is right at the, at the point of it's not good for you. 200 is considered dangerous. In 2017, the air in Delhi, you know that place, right? Yeah, India. Yeah. Registered at the very top of the scale, nine ninety nine. Oh my god. Last week parts of Sydney broke twenty five hundred oh on that scale. Oh god. God is very angry, oh No nation in the world, even China, responsible for about twenty eight percent of carbon emissions, is a significant enough contributor to dramatically change things. Right. So we gotta work together on this, whether we right. like it or not. Right. Policy negotiations may benefit from reducing the number of sides involved in a game theory calculus from 186, that's the number of nations in the Paris Accords, to just two, which would be the U.S. and China. If the two of us could get together, that could make a difference. Mm. It doesn't look like where we're headed in this country. That's going to happen. But it needs to happen, at least according to this report from uh, New York Magazine. We have to step forward at some point to address climate change. Otherwise, it's a brave new, ugly world.
1: Yeah. It's hard to come up with anything new to say about this, Nathan. It's
0: happening. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9. On our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com. On Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. Stream us live on TuneIn or go to KUCI.org. From Vox. There are three super trees, three of them, Mike, that can help protect us from the climate catastrophe, but can
1: we protect them? But Nathan... Are you telling me that there are three trees in the whole world that are going to... <laughs> okay, Just sorry. three. Three, three. Just yeah. little Just three trees. Yeah. One's in Brazil, one's yeah. in Indonesia. Uh, <laughs> no.
0: Three kinds of trees. <laughs> Dozens of countries have extraordinary tropical forests, but three stand out. That would be Brazil, Indonesia, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. They not only have the largest areas of tropical forest, but also the highest rates of deforestation. If these ecosystems collapse... The climate effects are likely to be irreversible. Enter the super trees. That's right, Mahler. Mahler likes super trees for obvious reasons. (laughs) The Brazil nut tree is one of the taller species in South America, reaching the height of a fourteen-story building. A single tree can pump more than two hundred and sixty gallons of water per day up its trunk and through its leaves into the air. Brazil's nuts superpower that tree, and not the nut, is making rain. Making it rain because of all the water it brings into the atmosphere. The 21 million people of the Sao Paulo Mm
1: -hmm.
0: metro area, Mm -hmm. roughly 1,500 miles from the Amazon, rely on this rainfall for drinking water. The Amazon also acts like a massive air conditioner, keeping temperatures down. Climate study shows that when the Amazon is leveled, Local temperatures will jump by at least 2.5 degrees Fahrenheit on average. Wow. And then there's, of course, Indonesia's stilt mangrove. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> Mahler knows about these trees. He does, and he cares, too. Yeah. That's the exciting part. Its most impressive superpower happens underground, where its roots end and the mud begins. Its superpower is keeping carbon underground on account of that. There are ways out of this, folks. There are ways that we can head off the worst of it. Yeah, just protect those areas. Unfortunately, it's deforestation in those areas. You have
1: Balasaro, who is running Brazil, who seems hell-bent, yeah. along with apparently the Mexican mafia and just mafia in general yeah. are hell-bent to knock
0: down as much of that force
1: as they possibly can.
0: And the Democratic Republic of Congo's African teak tree. <laughs> Oh, good. That's right. Mahler, yeah, that's good it's one of Mahler's favorites. Yeah. It's in the second largest rainforest on Earth, the teak tree's superpower is its resilience and ability to support other species and the entire ecosystem around it. When food is scarce, birds and monkeys can feast on teak trees' unripe seed pods. Its leafy canopy provides shade for plant and animal species on the ground. Its flame-resistant bark can weather natural and man-made fires, allowing the tree to help species recover. That's yeah, a good speed. That is a great a good thing. Good speed. Yeah. Good tree. And I don't want to
1: rain on our parade here but let's just say for the sake of argument that we get religion about planting these trees nurturing them seeing them come to a point where they're effective we're talking probably 10 15 20 years before these things would be in a significant a number to be effective let's protect
0: what's there yes well that's true yeah, yeah. we can plant all the trees we want yeah. but let's protect what we have yeah you're right from zdnet ibm research said it has created a battery design that doesn't use heavy metals and could ultimately outperform lithium-ion batteries. This is great news. Yeah. The battery is built with materials extracted from seawater and would minimize the need to mine. It uses a cobalt and nickel-free cathode material along with a safe liquid electrolyte with a fly, with a fly, with a high flash point, mm-hmm. yeah, with a fly hash point. <laughs> <laughs> the combination reduces flammability as it suppresses lithium metal dendrites during charging. It could outperform existing batteries in cost, charging time, power, flammability, and efficiency without heavy metals such as nickel and cobalt. This Which, is great news for it, electric cars. It is. That was the problem with heading in that direction, and if they could develop this battery. IBM said its battery design can charge to 80% in less than five minutes. I know, that's amazing. And be used in electric vehicles and other electric-powered everything in the future. Yeah,
1: this is terrific news. Yeah. It's a matter of scaling up. If we're going to do this, it needs to be a worldwide usage, and scaling up is always going to be an issue with any new technology.
0: From Intelligencer, we got two Trump trade deals last week. A limited, as of yet, unsigned agreement with China that looks as if it might slow down a costly trade war and a deal with uh, Democrats to ratify a new U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade deal. The problem is that in Trump's version of the world order, the U.S. economy reigns as supreme as it did in the 1950s, and everyone needs to buy what we make. Uh, In the real world... In 1960, the U.S. economy produced 60% of global income. Now it's less than 20%. Not because we shrunk, but because everyone else grew. Yes. That was the whole idea back then, was to bring the world up. Right. We just didn't adjust to what we were philosophizing. The
1: United States, in the middle of the 50s through into the 60s, was by any measure the biggest economy in the world. Coming out of World War II, we were something like 50% of the gross domestic product for the world. And over time, that has shrunk. And we refuse to give up that mindset that we are not, in fact, the same economic power we were back then.
0: Manufacturing and agriculture together contribute just one quarter of the U.S. income. The rest of us are living off services. We're lawyers, brokers, fast food workers, professors, whatever. (laughs) The U.S.-China deal, if it is eventually signed, gets at exactly zero of the underlying problems in the U.S.-China trade relationship. The ones that both decimated those old-time manufacturing jobs and chip away at America's technological advantage. So Trump's Deals didn't do anything to address that. It does nothing to change how China supports its industries in ways that are against international rules, nor does China even promise to do better at not stealing technologies developed by U.S. companies and workers. And that's
1: a huge And that's what
0: Trump was crowing about when he was campaigning. He was lying about it. It helps the U.S. credit card companies, who finally will be allowed to do business in China, and also helps major corporations like Apple and Walmart, not because of anything China promised to do, but because Trump will cancel and scale back the tariffs that he started in the first place. (laughs) China promised to buy an unprecedented $50 billion worth of U.S. agricultural products over the next two years, or at least that's what the White House says, but China hasn't really given a number. There's nothing in writing on that, it's just the White House crowing again. So who knows if that'll even happen? Assuming China spends something close to that amount, it will be good news for hard-hit U.S. farmers, but it won't even cover the total cost of the losses from two years of Trump's tariffs, in addition to the bailouts the government has already paid. So this deal is a classic, cynical Trump deal. You point out the problem, you make it bigger. And then you claim victory over getting it back to the starting place. Right. But with less money and credibility in the long run. Yeah. And the credibility is what I'm really concerned about. Yeah, absolutely. Because we might break even right now. But two years from now, one year from now, somebody will cut a deal with us. But they won't be trusting us at all. Right. And
1: I think there's another element to all of this, and that is with Trump, it's always about him. It's always about him making more money. You always feel like there might be something under the table going on here. Financially, his family certainly has. Ivanka has benefited from copyright laws being changed to include her in Chinese commerce. There are all kinds of deals going on that are benefiting the Trump family. And I wouldn't be terribly surprised to find out that there's an element of that going on here.
0: Meanwhile, the USMCA deal, a successor to NAFTA, didn't do anything like Trump's campaign promise to tear up and totally renegotiate the foundations of the three-country agreement. This is NAFTA 2.0, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's simply close to the deal that would have been renegotiated anyway without Trump. Because it was going to expire. Yeah, it was going to expire. So they were going to
1: have to renegotiate. Yeah,
0: and they tried to put more control over what's traded, which is the direction we were headed in anyway.
1: And he's now rebranded it with his own name, which is basically
0: BS. Meanwhile, the Trump administration informed the Centers for Disease Control that the words vulnerable, entitlement, diversity, transgender, fetus, evidence-based, and science-based could not be used in documents related to next year's budget. <laughs> no science based stuff. From Michael Hilton at the Los Angeles Times. Love Michael. Hi On Mike. November thirteenth, the dot org registry was sold to a private equity firm, Ethos Capital. That's like K C I dot O R G. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, a lot like that, yeah. The seller was the Internet Society, a nonprofit that plays an important role in creating and maintaining Internet engineering standards, but mostly the guardian of the .org domain. The price was $1.135 billion. The buyer, Ethos, didn't even exist until earlier this year and currently appears to have only two super-rich employees. A week after the sale announcement, it emerged that the financial backers of Ethos, Included the families of H. Ross Perot, Mitt Romney, and the Johnsons, owners of Fidelity Investments. At stake are internet addresses ending in .org, used by some 10 million organizations. The deal isn't final and still needs to be approved. Tim Berners-Lee, the inventor of the World Wide Web, tweeted that it would be a travesty if the .org domain were no longer operated in the public interest, which is a real possibility since the sale. Esther Tyson, the founding chairwoman of the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, tweeted that she was appalled at what she called the great .org heist. There are two main concerns about the sale. One is that Ethos will jack up the registration fee for .org websites, which is currently about $10 per year and has been subject to a traditional limit of increases of 10% a year. More important may be Ethos's ability to censor .org websites by allowing third parties more latitude to object content on sites and shut them down. Yeah. The .org registry is a point of control on the Internet, says Mitch Stoltz, an attorney at the Electric Frontier Foundation. That's EFF.org, in case you're wondering. And they do great work. there. Yes, they do. Uh, Which has launched a campaign protesting the deal. A private equity firm has an incentive to sell censorship as a service, he said. Already, registrars of other domains have cut agreements with corporate players like the Motion Picture Association of America, giving them the authority to order shutdowns of sites they claim are infringing on copyrights without even affording the site's owners the opportunity to appeal.
1: Yeah. This is once again another example of something that was created in the government. Our tax dollars at work created the Internet to start with, and then this idea of .org for essentially non-profit organizations. Now we're selling it. We're selling it to a private entity driven by profit, by maximizing profit, and as well as choking off
0: free speech. Yeah. This is what corporations are good at and unaccountable. Michael Hiltzik, he ends up by saying, the fear is that soon everything will be for sale, the public interest be damned. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. And from Inc. INC. Not I-N-K. Inc. Inc. Incorporated. Visa is sending warnings to anyone who pumps gas that there's a chance their credit card numbers have been or will be stolen by malicious hackers. (laughs) I use credit card to buy gas. Yeah, everybody does practically. The thing is, you don't want to swipe. If you go to a station that has a swipe reader... That's where the problem is. The hacking group Thin 8 is exploiting swipe cards, which are more prevalent at gas stations. According to Visa, the breach starts by the hackers finding a way into the gas station's network via phishing scams, like they did with the Democratic Party. And those are the stupidest scams to fall for. You know, please, folks, don't go to a link on an email that you get unless it came from somebody that you know. Right. And it, even then. Especially if, if it's a blind link. Right. If you know, it's just a word with right. nothing, right. you can't see where you're going.
1: Or if it's from someone you haven't talked to, seen, or heard of in 10 years, yeah. and you get a, hey, Mike.
0: Yeah. Click, check this yeah, out. Yeah, check this out. <laughs> Once inside the network, <laughs> the hackers install scraping software that targets magstrip card readers uh, that don't use a chip. They say magstripe. I always called it a strip. Yeah. Okay. A strip or a stripe. I you, I think they're the same. Yes, I think that's, uh, yeah. When customers go to the pump and swipe their cards, the scraping software intercepts the credit card information and sends it back to the hackers unencrypted so they can use the cards or sell the information on the dark web. They can simply do that as soon as you swipe it. If they're into that gas station, they can read it. Visa says it will require all gas stations to use chip readers by October 2020. Well, that doesn't help us for the next nine months. Or face the possibility of being liable for the fraud themselves. There you go. The gas stations. The problem is that many gas stations don't want to spend the quarter of a million dollars to uh, boost up to the new chip technologies.
1: That's what it would cost. Well, think
0: of all those gas pumps. Right. In the meantime, swipers beware. So, just pay cash? That's the deal. Any place where they have swipes. That's what you're dealing with. And finally, the professional golfer, Tommy Two Gloves Ganey. Okay, Tommy Two Gloves. Yeah, yeah, Tommy Two Gloves Ganey, who was in Florida for a charity golfing event, was arrested as part of a prostitution sting called Operation Santa's Naughty List. <laughs> <laughs>